Today I'm joined by Luminzia creator Greg Benz, who's here to discuss some interesting developments made possible by the latest HDR tools inside Adobe Lightroom and Photoshop. In this discussion and demo, we dive into the rich history of high dynamic range, aka HDR photography, and explore Adobe's incredible new tools that will help you bring it to life. But do you have the right tools to create HDR? And if so, can the masses even view this new evolution in color? Let's find out as we discuss the rebirth of HDR. Hey folks, welcome back to This Week in Photo. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today I get to sit down with Greg Benz. I've known Greg for several years. If you don't know who Greg is, he's, he's the guy behind a, an a app plugin software for professional photographers and some advanced amateurs called Luminzia. Um, you may have heard of it. You can check it out at gregbenzphotography.com for all the details about that. So we'll, we're gonna give you a taste of that application or that plugin here on the, on the podcast, but we're gonna talk about some other stuff. So high dynamic range photography, you may have heard of it, high dynamic range. What does that mean? And I'll tell you what it means to me and what it meant to me. In the beginning, when I first heard the term HDR, it was through Trey Ratcliffe, who many of you have heard of from Stucking Customs dot com fame, right? He was one of the main proponents and flag waivers of HDR technology from an artistic standpoint, because Trey likes to travel. He traveled to all, you know, all these beautiful cities around the world, take photos of those cities and the bright lights and the bright colors and then process them through HDR and make them look larger than life, hypersaturated, crispy, all that stuff. And it took on like Trey's had gallery shows around the world. He's made a bazillion gazillion dollars and, you know, amazing stuff and triggered a movement back in the day on HDR. Lots of people were out there doing HDR. I mean, even companies sprung up. I don't know if it was because of Trey, but there are companies like, uh, I think Photomatics was around before Trey started using, using the software, but he certainly helped them kind of uh, keep the momentum going for HDR. Then what was it? Skylum put out Aurora HDR, which is an ed a dedicated app that Trey Ratcliffe consulted on to help, you know, sort of push HDR. So, the world was HDR crazy, much like it's AI crazy right now, right? HD photographers were HDR crazy back in the day. But so that's the artistic side of it. The more technical use of HDR from my perspective was usages like making high contrast scenes appear more natural. So the way that our human eye works is when we look at an outside scene and then look inside, it kind of balances on the fly. You know, we're doing kind of HDR in our brain. So you kind of, it's what I see outside kind of matches what I see inside. Cameras don't have that latitude for the most part, you know, or they didn't, sometimes they do now. But when you're shooting real estate photography and you're doing an interior shot, you want the window light to not overpower or, you know, or conversely the inside lighting be drastically different from the outside lighting pointing at my own windows in my, my house here. But uh, what HDR does is allow you to balance those two together to give it more of a natural, pleasing look. And that's more of a technical use of the software. Trey was doing more of an, or the, the technique, and Trey was doing more of an artistic look at it. All that to say, Greg is going to talk to us about 
uh, the, <laughs> some of the stuff that we may be missing. So we were basically uh, in on a Zoom call where we were talking remotely about what he's going to show you guys. And my mind was blown, right? It was like, okay, I've been sitting on this all along and I had no idea how this stuff, well, still don't really 100% know how it works, but I can see that I, I've been, it feels like I've been working with blinders on or something or, you know, living in a dream world, Neo, right? That's, that's kind of what I felt like. And then, you know, Greg rescued me and snatched me out of the matrix. And now I see things as they should be seen using the, the hardware and software that I already have on my Mac. So I want him to show you guys, we're going to have a discussion about this. We're going to dive into it and just have a, have a, you know, artist to artist or creative to creative discussion about what this what hdr really is in 2023 and how we can use it in our daily sort of workflows and tool belt so i, I normally don't do a preamble like that before these discussions but i wanted to set the stage for what we're going to talk about so we can all be on the same page as we move forward so greg benz man welcome to the podcast pleasure to see you how's it going Oh, it's great, Frederick. Always, always great to see you. And uh, man, I feel like we could just talk forever. We literally have been talking for hours, even before we started the interview. Just catching up, man. It's it's always yeah. great speaking with you. I yeah. love it. I love it. Likewise, <laughs> yeah, we're we're kindred spirits. Yeah, we were inside baseball, folks. With, with Greg and I, we were we were nerding out over EVs and the state of the industry in terms of how all that stuff is going. So maybe that's a different episode, Greg, you and I'll have to record something separate, uh, you know, and talk about your journey to electric vehicles. (laughs) 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 Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll be the, like in this conversation, you, you are the authority. I will be the, you know, the shepherd in that conversation. Guide me through it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I'll guide you through it. Yeah. Uh, so let's dive in. So just, just to set the stage for folks that may not be familiar with you, Greg, or Lumenzia, the software give us kind of the elevator pitch in the you know the this the 30,000 foot view of what you're working on and what you've been the the software that I, I think literally have changed thousands and thousands of workflows around the planet give us give us an idea of what all that entails yeah so so my background I'm a working photographer I'm a software developer and I'm a photoshop instructor so I kind of cover all these different bases and my my emphasis in terms of like education, my software is is really two parts. There's the luminosity masking, which is all about having a better ability to interact with Photoshop. So you can go in and refine the tree, refine the sky, whatever whatever you need to work with, create these more natural masks and selections so you can restore the kind of color and detail you want out of that scene. Really show the your your vision the way you want in a natural way. And then the other piece that I've really been getting hot on for the last couple of years is not something I started talking about with my customers till about the last year has started to accelerate is what we're going to talk about today, which is the HDR, the high dynamic range. But that's something that the first time I saw it, I just kind of fell in love and I've just been going crazy for it. And for the same reason, because for me, it's all about being able to pursue this artistic vision. And the old HDR is like a totally different animal. The new HDR, I think, is a, a really important tool in the kit in terms of being able to show the vision that I have that I have to show the real world because it's lifting this restriction of the monitors that could recreate what the camera saw. So we'll, we'll get into all that, but that's, that's kind of me in a nutshell. Yeah. I love that, man. Yeah. And thank you for creating that software. You know, it's, it's, uh, and it just, from, from the, the entrepreneurial standpoint and from the creative standpoint, 
it's you're a, you're a case study to behold, right? Because you you've built this software, the thriving software, and it's 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 what you do, right? And you you dive into the pixel, the subpixel level of how all this stuff works in order to help other people get better at at photography and do more with their images than they probably thought possible. And I love the, I love the technical side of it. Like the Lumenzia reminds me not because they do the same things, but it reminds me a lot of. What's what's the, uh, another app that kind of oh, like photo pills? You know, yeah. Have you are you familiar with photo pills? Yeah, that yeah. app. Yeah. So photo pills, completely different app, right? Obviously, it's more of a planning app, but it is one of those pieces of software that that does a limited amount of things intentionally, but goes really deep on that limited thing you know just so that you really understand and have the power to pull out nuances um, of what you're doing in the case of photo pills it's like where's the sun going to be when i'm taking this picture of the eiffel tower okay i need to be there on this date in order to get this perspective your software is different lets me do a lot of amazing things so before we dive into the hdr stuff lumenzia itself like what what for someone who understands here's your here's your target avatar I understand Photoshop, the editing images forever. I'm a Lightroom guy. All my images are in there. I've upgraded to the latest Lightroom. I'm playing around with all their AI tools. I'm a, I'm a landscape photographer. And I'm going out this weekend to take some photos of Yosemite. I've heard about this Lumenzia thing and that it might help me make my images look a little better, but I don't know what it is. Greg Benz, what is Lumenzia? <laughs> so it, it'd be this tool for you in in Photoshop. It's really just it's ultimately it's giving us better mass and selections. But what it what it translates into the quality of what you can do is to have this really granular control. So you shoot the scene and the sky has this fiery, gorgeous sunset, and the foreground is deep shadow detail, and the raw just doesn't have it, right? Like you can mm -hmm. process maybe for a good sky, you can process for a good foreground. You really can't bring it all together it's going to let you optimize all those different pieces and bring it together in a way that looks natural. You're not going to have fuzzy edges. You're not going to have this fake look. I mean, you need the technique to pull it through. It's not like you just click a button. It does it for you. It's there to assist you as the artist, but to create this scene where you're going to have that gorgeous, you know, sky, right. And a process like that would be known as exposure blending, where you can take different versions of an image and combine them. So it's like you take the best of all the different elements and put them together but then you can go on and do uh, dodging and burning, right? So if you're into the whole like Ansel Adams, dodge and burn zone system, this is totally the, the tool for you where you go in and can work on particular tones. I want to take the, the, the background um, where the light is shining on this mountain and select the highlights there and, and dodge them up a little bit brighter, add a little bit of warmth, make it look like the sun's really casting light on it, bring out this sense of depth in the scene. You think about like, you know, artists, when they make a painting of an apple, they sort of shade the apple to create this sense of like highlight and shadow, right? Well, that's that's basically dodging and burning in photograph. And with the aid of luminosity, mass and selections, you can take the light that's already in the photo and then artistically enhance it. So I can take real shadows and make them more compelling. I can take real highlights, make them more compelling. And, and the result is then that you have this ability to make the scene feel more three-dimensional and you can, you know, bring out all this extra detail. So just... Um, ultimately it's just another level of quality in terms of what you're able to extract from the images. And there's many, many different ways of approaching the, the whole thing. I and, mean, you know, mine is kind of my vision of how to simplify the process of working with luminosity and mass and selections, but that's in a nutshell is an ability to create a, just a better looking final result for someone who's 
willing to invest a little bit into learning, you know, these techniques, you can do things that you just really couldn't do with other approaches. I love that. And how do, how does Lumenzia mesh with the the you know the relatively recent evolution of Lightroom Photoshop? You know, with the object selection, um, sky replacement, you know, all the things. So I can do a lot now in there. Like I, this photo of me, I can just click on me and then edit my background in the foreground separately. And you know, or if I was outside, I could drop a sky in there or just target mm -hmm. the sky to, to make exposure adjustments to just the sky with a, with, you know, even with a high frequency foreground background, uh, delineation, I can still make some pretty accurate changes that are to the layperson viewer wouldn't know that I even went in there and did stuff if I did it right. So how does Luminzia work into that world? I'm guessing it, pushes it a little bit further, uh, but in your words, how does it, how does it interact there? So is it, they both have their respective strengths. So to me, it's not, you know, A or B it's, you know, both. Um, okay. So, you know, if I'm using a tool like select sky, select subject, I can, I could work on you in bulk. I'm not really separating like, you know, your, your eyes from your skin, from your lips, whatever. I mean, there are some of those tools in, in Lightroom and they'll keep getting better, yeah. but you don't necessarily have that kind of granular control. And, you know, but, but it's great to have that ability to have like that bulk selection of the person. Whereas with, you know, something like Lumenzia, I could go in and, um, I could work on the skin texture. I could take the highlights of the skin versus the shadows and try and diminish, you know, or work on a skin texture. I could take yeah. the sclera of your eye and make an absolutely perfect selection. Like if I go work with like the Lightroom tools, as good as they are, they're not perfect. And if you zoom in close enough for print, whatever, you're going to see edges and that sort of thing. Whereas... Mm -hmm. What, what luminosity masking is doing differently is like in, in those tools in Photoshop, they're trying to look and find a subject. They're looking at clusters of pixels to try and pick something out. Whereas luminosity masking is just basically looking at the pixel level and saying, what is it unique about this pixel? Is it more colorful? Is it brighter? Is it darker? It's, you know, so it's going to exactly work on those pixels in a consistent way. So when I go and, you know, want to pick the sky, well, the sky is generally brighter. It's easy to isolate that. If I'm dodging and burning, it's kind of a different scenario. Like the sky thing is like, you could maybe use either tool, but when it comes to like dodging and burning, I want to take the lit face of the mountain and brighten it without brightening like the shadows. Cause they're all intermixed, right? The, the mountain has like this complex face. So it has highlight shadow, highlight shadow. It's all mixed together. The cracks and the rocks, the split, the, the sun facing side, the not sun facing side. Well, you know, if you do a bulk selection of that with a, a tool in Photoshop, you're just working on the whole face of that thing. Whereas with luminosity masking, you can actually pick out the specific highlights and shadows to do very granular dodging and burning. So they're, they're both great tools. They're, one's not really a replacement for the other. It's, it's more about bringing everything together and using each tool where it works its best. I love that. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that sentiment. Like we, we as photographers, I think maybe it's a human thing. We always want to, you know put everything on a team and make it an or choice versus an and choice like you know this camera or that camera this car or that car this thing or this team or that team you know it's always the or when in the creative world at least in my opinion it's it's more about the the articulation and expression of the story that's in your head and how you get there is up to you you know and using whichever tools together in combination that makes sense for that particular project. So yeah, like you're saying, if you're just doing something real quick and there's, you know, you don't 
you don't really care about the nuances, like you were saying of the, the highlights and shadows on that mountain face, then sure, really quick in, in Photoshop, you can get it pretty good or probably better than most lay people could get it. But if you're an artisan and then you wanna get in there and, and you care about the nuances and the gradation from this highlight to that shadow and be able to have explicit and complete control over what's doing what in there, that's when you use a tool like Lumenzia. But again, you can use it together. So you can make a selection and then go in there and fine tune that so that what you're doing is spot on to, to what you wanted. Um, is that is that fair? Am I hitting that on the head right? I don't wanna speak yeah, to it, it, No, no, that, no, that's, I think that's accurate. It's hard to really you know, speak to it versus seeing it. But I'd say right. the, the way people typically describe it is there'll be these photos where people are like, how'd this person create that? What filter did they use? Or what was the setting? Mm -hmm. And it's usually that moment. It's like, no, it, it wasn't, it wasn't that. This person went through and made local adjustments with precision using a tool like luminosity selections to refine the image. I mean, dodging and burning, that's where, you know, professionals really set their work apart. And there's many different yeah. ways of doing it, but a lot of people will use like luminosity selections to do that. Um, but that's the point where you really give your photo depth, where you control where the viewer's eye goes, where you accentuate the things that are important to the story, where you diminish the things that aren't. And, and there's a lot of nuance to it. But when you see the difference, you know, before and after, you're like, wow, that's compelling. It's, it's usually that like mystery factor. I find a lot of times can be attributed to like the dodging and burning process. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, these tools really help with. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, it's a whole different conversation, but I, I don't, it's that level of control. It's almost like darkroom control, right? When you're in the darkroom and you got your, you know, your your little cardboard, whatever, and you're dodging here and you're burning there. And, you, you know, it's that whole experience is an experience for the photographer. If you're a photographer and you haven't experienced it, that yet, I would, if you can, I would encourage you to just try to make a print, right? Or take it from film all the way to print and understand the level of control, you know, sometimes unfortunate, right? <laughs> that you have and <laughs> realizing that final image because it, it could take a little bit to get there. But like you're saying with Lumenzia, like the, the process of getting in there and kind of hunkering back with your cup of coffee and you got your display and you're like, okay, I'm going to work on this right now. I'm going to tweak that and make it better than anything else. And okay, now I'm going to move over there. It's part of the process. It's not like, and, and I don't, areas like that, I don't see technology or AI or whatever coming in there and doing all that for us. Cause who wants it to do it for us? It's like, yeah, you, you go to a restaurant and have someone pre-chew your steak. Right. It's like, <laughs> I want to chew my own steak. I want to enjoy the steak myself. Right. So yeah. And having that level of control. So that, which is a good segue into HDR, right. And having that conversation, because like I said, in that little, the, the intro there, HDR supposed to be for making things look natural. Some people use it artistically, but there's another factor in there that that you brought to my attention a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about scheduling this, this discussion um uh that we may be we may be us photographers or creatives may be missing something so explain greg benz what what are we missing in this wonderful world of resolution and color so 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 hgr of course stands for high dynamic range and there, there's two versions of this. There's the old school, like photomatics, you know, kind of thing that people do um, that we've known about forever, right? And and then there's the new manifestation of HDR. Same name, totally different. Because what the, the what the old system was about was you could optionally 
take your raw file, maybe come out a few more, you, you expand to this massive dynamic range, right? So that's the high dynamic range part is the data in the file has this wonderful range of you know pixel information, but at the end of the day, you have to display it on a screen. And that screen is not very capable. We would call that a standard dynamic range or SDR screen is kind of the, the, the typical term for that. So the old HDR was really about taking the data and just trying to find the best way to display it on a limited screen. Yeah. So it was just kind of dealing with some trade-offs and it, it created a lot of bad results. A lot of people are unhappy with like noise and shadow detail and these weird things because it just doesn't fit. You're, you're trying to cram too much information. It, it, the real world has like your camera, you, you know, people have like a D850, you have over 14 stops of dynamic range, but your SDR display has like eight at best. Right. So you have like six stops of information that don't make the cut you're trying to cram in. And then if you start blending multiple raw files together, you're only making the problem worse because you, you just have like more information that's still trying to squeeze in this limited thing. Yeah. Whereas the new HDR, we're actually getting better screens. This is new hardware coupled with software to support it. And now we can actually take the pixels in that raw data. And instead of compromising them on a less capable screen, we can actually now show them on a screen that's actually for the first time ever able to render all the capability of those raw files, which is, I think is crazy. I mean, back in the day of mm -hmm. dynamic range improving, people used to shell like $3,000 for a new camera because it went up by like one stop of dynamic range. Well, if you have like, for example, like the MacBook Pro of the last three years, you're getting like an extra four stops of what you can see in these images. So it's a completely different experience. I mean, you can actually see what's in your raw file for the first time. And that means that, you know, if there's city lights, they glow. If uh, you're shooting a sunset, it's bright and colorful. It doesn't get washed out. The sky is not the same brightness as the foreground. It's, it looks the way it really looked in real life. And um, I mean, you saw it for the first time when you were kind of chatting mm -hmm. before this, I'd be curious to hear how you describe it, but there's a certain wow factor that to me, it's like, you have to see it because until you've seen like a good, like HDR display, it's just hard to appreciate everything you've been missing all this time. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, for me, there's a lot of analogies you could throw at it, but I think one of them is how you're like, if you're hanging out in a, in indoors, let's say, you know, and your eyes are accustomed to how it looks inside with no window light or whatever, and it looks perfectly fine. It's normal, you know, nothing out of the ordinary, but then you go outside, right? And the explosion of colors and light and contrast and all the things you're like, oh man, it was really dark in there. You know, <laughs> that's, that's how it felt when you first show me that you show me this, and I, it, it, that's, that's a perfect segue to the next, next place I want to take the conversation, but that the difference between those two, between the, what I was accustomed to seeing either my own, you know, photography or looking at other people's work, the, the difference between that and what you kind of showed me was night and day. So then my main, my brain started going to this place of, okay, why wouldn't I just stay in this mode all the time? And then, you know, there's like a devil and an angel, right? The, the, the devil is like, stay in that mode all the time, Frederick, looks better, you know? The angel is saying, but what about everybody else? Aren't you creating work for other people to see? Not everybody has a display that you have that can render this stuff. The devil's like, oh, you know, 
they'll catch up eventually, create the best work possible <laughs> and let everything else fall where it may, right? And he goes, no, but then people aren't going to see your work. So you have to, what do you say to that devil and angel, Greg Ben? <laughs> it's like, you know? So, I mean, that, that, so, so like Photoshop um, has had HDR display on the Mac for quite a while now. Um, Adobe Camera Raw added support a year ago. And you know, over this past year, if you were playing with those, that was a very real trade-off because you could create this high dynamic range output. And then if someone didn't have an HDR display, they got this diminished version that didn't look as good as what you would have otherwise given them. If you were editing for SDR, that result would have looked better than the HDR on the non-HDR screen. Well, a month ago, that all changed. There's this new image technology known as a gain map and a gain map is basically taking the the enhanced HDR and the standard SDR, something you get to control both of those, and it packages it into one file. And then whatever screen you're on, you get the best possible experience. So if you have an HDR screen, you get this awesome improved experience. And if you don't have an HDR screen, then you get the same old thing you had before. So that's what's so magical about this new technology with these gain maps is it eliminates the penalty of being an early adopter. You can now go see these beautiful images and play them back on a wide range of screens. It's, I mean, every Apple display since about 2018 has some support and the ones in the last three years are incredible with the MacBook Pro. Um, pretty much all decent smartphones now, more than half of all smartphones, you know, iPhones for the last several years, uh, Android phones, they all have great HDR support. Um, your, your big screen TV at home almost certainly has support. Um, so, so the support for this is much more widespread than people think. And the reason for that is up until recently, the only support we had was for like Hollywood movies. And yeah. you didn't really know the difference cause you didn't make it. You're just like, oh, this picture looks good, but you don't really know that it's doing something different. Well, now suddenly the software showing up, Adobe's released software left and right, browsers support it you know we don't have support everywhere there's still gaps of course but we've had massive explosion in these capabilities so now it's very safe to create and and easily do it on your your own you can now use like lightroom and you click a button you're in hdr mode everything pretty much works the same but you get a better result that looks great on your screen and then you can export it in a way where people you know, they get a, a good looking image no matter what they're on yeah um uh, so it's 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 really I think in in the last month or so I think been a pretty big uh, change and you can you can export these game maps with Adobe Camera Raw I, I've got a, a plugin for Photoshop called WebSharp Pro that'll support it you can use Lightroom uh, Android just added support um, it looks amazing on the Pixel Seven Pro I have one of those um, there's all these different tools and and you can now use Lightroom on all these devices like Lightroom supports HDR not just on your laptop but on Android phones, on iPhones, on iPads, uh, even, even the web uh, version of Lightroom, you can actually go to a website for Lightroom. It has some degree of HDR support there too. That's crazy. Yeah. So it like, and this just, you know, a couple months ago, it was a totally different picture. So I think people are going to start waking up to this and, and now they're all asking these questions of like, what does it mean? How does it work? Yeah. Um, but it's, it's very exciting because, because it's, it's clearly the future. I mean, I, I think this is like the best thing to happen to photography since like color. Um, Cause it's truly the first time that we've had a screen that was just dramatically better than everything we've had before. And uh, you know, once you see it, it's very hard to unsee it and be like, okay, I, 
I'm, I'm okay. Not using this better option, right? But you're, yeah. you know, you're not locked into it. You're still going to have non HDR stuff, right? If you're printing, you're printing non HDR and yeah. you know, there's a little bit of a learning curve to figure out like, Oh, how do I manage both? And it's, it's easy to do, um, you know, but it is a different world, but it, the, the learning curve with like Lightroom, Adobe Camera is, is very simple. It's easy to get into this. You just need to have a supporting display and most of us are carrying one around in our pockets because of smartphones. So it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty fun. Yeah. I want to, I want to, there's a bunch yeah. to unpack there a uh, couple things, but the one thing I wanted to make sure that we put a bow around is um, the, the support when you mentioned, yeah, it's on phones, it's in your, your pixel one, it's on, on flat screens in the living room. So we're, I, th I feel like we're talking about two different things. We're talking about the creation side of it and with Lightroom, et cetera. Now you have the ability to create these images and export these images. And like you said, using, you know, the, which you can explain it again, but the, I'm guessing like, it's like a sidecar format that gets packaged with the image that will tell whatever's looking at it, what lookup table to use in order to either display SDR or HDR. But regardless, yeah, I want to have you dive into that a little bit. But the what I want to make sure I understand is support of it. So when as you're going to demonstrate in a second, you show me those little toggle within the system settings or there's the selection, basically the profile for my display that switches it to display XDR content. And I saw that, Greg, I saw that in there before and I never selected it because I was like, yeah, I'm not making HDR content. I don't really need to see that. I'm going to keep it on standard because like I said, like the, the angel, I was like, you know, I want to be compatible with everybody. So when I'm editing video or whatever, I want it to represent what the bulk of people are going to be consuming. So when you say support, are you saying device level support? Or are you saying software level support? Like it, when I say device level, does that mean, sure, my iPhone, I can see XDR content on my iPhone, but do I have to be in a specific app? Like does Instagram and TikTok and all those guys support it? Or is it only in certain areas like on my gallery or you know certain sites that have you know, complied with what whatever parameters they need to comply with in order to display this kind of content. Where are the bar the barriers? I think the the bottom line of that question, I think a lot of people are going to want to know is, if I toggle that on and I start creating in this format, do I ever have to toggle toggle it off? Like, or or is it I'm just there now and I've taken a step into the future and that's how I'm going to create from from now on. So that that piece of it and then the export piece of it is it a is the file that I distribute that you said will will just dumb itself down for lesser quality displays? Is that a HEIC format file? Is it is it a raw file that needs a an XMP sidecar with it, or or what? Like what what are we doing here? So demystify all that. I know you remembered everything <laughs> I just said, Greg. So <laughs> so we'll, we'll, let's pick that a few pieces, right? So the okay. you know. How, how do you how do you get to a place where you can see it and edit on on you know your machine? Well, you, you definitely need to have an HDR screen. It is a, a new technology, um, right? So it, if if you look at like the specifications for your monitor, one of the things you can look up is the the peak brightness of the screen. How bright can it get? And the measurement for that is going to be referenced in either nits. That's N I T S nits. Or you might see it as like CD per square meter, candles per square meter, same thing. So if you've ever calibrated your display, then you probably try to dial it into like 80 to 120, you know, candles per square meter, which is a nit. That's pretty typical for people who are going to 
you know, print their work, consumer usage tends to get a little bit brighter, but there's a certain range of brightness for SDR that would be anywhere between 80 to 500. And I would say in the range of like, you know, 120 to 300 is pretty typical, right? That's kind of SDR display. With an HDR display, it's it's much brighter. With these newest, you know, Apple displays and all, you're at up to 1600 nits, right? So you're like five times brighter than a bright screen. Um, you know, if you're at a typical, you know, photographer use where I'm like 120, you can imagine 120 versus 1600. This is a massive, more than 10x increase in what can can be displayed there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's, you know, where the HDR benefit is coming from is the display itself is much more capable than it ever was. Um, but then, you know, to use it, you also need to have, um, support in terms of like, you know, your, your settings are correct in your system, which on Mac is just default. Your, your display settings we looked at were actually not the defaults. The way we turned it to, we switched it back to the default. So if you're on, uh, an Apple device, unless you're connecting over HDMI to your monitor, it should just work by default. If you have HDMI, you just click a switch in the display settings that literally says high dynamic range. So that part is very easy. On Windows, there's a display setting that also says HDR. And if you support, you can toggle that on. Um, but then, you know, once you've got that toggled on, you then need the, the software, right? So does your browser support it? Does your software support it? So like Lightroom, Photoshop, you know, all, all the Adobe software is now supporting it. Um, 75% of the browsers are supporting it. There's pretty broad support there, but it's not, it's not everywhere. Um, of course. Right. And one of the, one of the big gaps right now is social media, right? If I create an HDR image, I can't upload it to, uh, Instagram and Facebook right now. I can send an HDR video, but I can't send an HDR photo. It's Mm -hmm. inevitable that it's going to show up in all these places. So, you know, if you want to do on social media today, you'd have to send a link saying, Hey, here's my website that has HDR or here's, you know, the download of this image. Right. So mm. um, that's a bummer, but it's, you know, yeah. these things will get worked out. It's all brand new. It's like, first we got the screens and then we got the software and now we'll get the websites, right. That's kind of the, how this will work. Um, but you can, you know, you can share these things on your own website easy enough. So it's, I mean, I've got a website I put together in WordPress in about two minutes. It's a collection of the HDR images gallery. You saw that's, that's mm-hmm. just WordPress. Um, so very easy to do that. Um, in terms of like, right yeah. So this one, right. Um, uh, make sure I'm on the right one. This guy right here. Yeah. That's, that's the one. So the, the way I've set this up, um, if you view this on a non-supporting display, you actually get like a little red text message at the top saying, Hey, you know, you're not seeing this in HDR, mm. go click this link to learn more about how to set it up. So you're you're right there getting kind of an indication that you have you have support. I'm I'm not going to claim that my detection is probably totally bulletproof, but it should work there. Um, and I, I've got a, a linked site that would g- tell you exactly what capability your screen has. So that's usually a a point of confusion is like, am I in the mode or not? Because if you've never seen it, you're not sure what you need to look for. That's right. Um, you know, of course, what you're screen sharing here, um, you know, the screen sharing of HDR doesn't work. Yeah. So like, like right now, like what I'm looking at with you sending back from my site is clipped to SDR because, you know, like Zoom and all don't get support HDR, oh, yeah. like live yeah. streaming. Right. So this doesn't look enhanced. This looks degraded, but that if you were to, you know, your end of things, you, what you're seeing is enhanced. Yeah. Um, like the gradations in the sky, you know what this image looks like. What are you seeing through the stream? What does the sky look like? 
it looks blown out. So like the, that beautiful like sunset color around the yep. building and around the trees on my end of things is pretty much white and blown out. And it's it's like the building is about the same brightness as the sky around it. There's not a real difference there. Whereas on your end of things, you're going to see this rich orange color. The building's not as bright as the sky. Yep. There's a real separation. And anyone who goes to to my site, so you got the, the URL showing at the top there. If you go to that site on a supporting um, you know computer, like one of these newer Apple displays on a supporting browser like Chrome, then you would be able to see the the real benefits. Safari does not an iPhone, support an iPhone. You could hit it with an iPhone or a tablet. Not not yet. So the iPhone has the hardware and has for several years, but the browsing capability is not there yet. I mean, it's inevitable that these things will come on an iPhone um, with the latest updates they just made. The Photos app will support HDR images if you're if you save them in this format known as AVIF, which is basically going to replace JPEG. It's a much more compact, higher quality format. Mm-hmm. So you can you can browse images you've downloaded to your phone in the Photos app, but you can't use the, any of the browsers on your iPhone yet. I mean, someday we'll get an update and then phones backs like the iPhone 11 or whatever will suddenly look that much better and support it, but that's not oh, there wow. yet. Android just added support a few weeks ago. So um, the, the Pixel 7, the Pixel 8, they now support it. The Galaxy phones will get the Android 14 update later, I don't know, a few weeks, whatever from now, and, and they'll have it. So Basically, we're just kind of waiting for the software update that makes it possible on on those devices. But you know, if you use Lightroom on your iPhone, you'll see the HDR there, okay. right? So it's yeah, just, that's it's what just, I was just the, exactly. So it's so it's just a combination of like the hardware and the software, and you know, the hardware is now much more common. The software is like just kind of depends, you know, what you're using where. Um, you know, eventually, what about the photos? This what, about, what about capturing capturing on the iPhone, right? So. You know, if I'm a if I'm a mobile photographer, I'm using my iPhone 14 or 15 or whatever, you know, and that's my camera, and I'm editing on my iPad, you know, and I export, I use you know whatever app on the iPad or Photos or Lightroom, presumably in the context of this conversation, I'm using Lightroom to do my editing. Okay, now I'm done with my image. And this is talking about mm-hmm. just strictly strictly still photography, not even video. So I'm done with my mm-hmm. image, and I want to share it. Now what? Mm-hmm. And and I've, I'm in. Eight, I want to. I want everyone to see the glorious HDR that I've just created with with subtle, subtle gradations in the sky. <laughs> is it subtle? Subtle, I think is what uh, gradations in the sky. You know, it's beautiful, and I want that to be represented. The the representation of my work and quality of work all over the world on social on my website. Um, if I were to send it any send it to people, clearly printing is not going to work, but I could still print it. Um, what do I do? What? How do I export that? And what are my limitations? I, I realize, based on what you're saying, I'm kind of in this no man's land in between, a, a little bit waiting on a, you know full adoption, blanket adoption across everything. But what what's the reality of my situation now? If I'm done with that that HDR image and I want to share it out? Yeah. Well, so so starting with the capture phase you can work with any image, right? It's always better to work with a raw, but you could work with any image. It doesn't have to be anything special. And then you can enhance it to HDR. For example, I've taken images from like AI programs like Midjourney that are just 8-bit JPEGs and made them look much better as HDR. I've taken super old photos. Uh, and, and if you shoot any raw correctly, you're gonna have great capa- capacity to do this. I've taken raw images, the oldest ones I have from 2004, and suddenly I can see like detail in shirts and things like that. Like it was never visible before. I'm like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that that was there. 
So, um, you know, any, any input will work, but if it's raw, just like with regular photography, it, like, it's like all the same capture rules apply, right? Raw gives you better capability. And with HDR, there's even more benefit, right? Cause it's holding all that original detail. Yeah. But then, so then you take it, edit it, whatever way you want to, now you want to export it. You need a file format that will, will contain HDR data to show it. Yeah. And there are um, many different options actually available, but there's really a couple that make particular sense right now. Um, one of them, surprisingly enough, is JPEG. I mean, JPEG itself is not inherently capable of HDR, but now with this new concept of a gain map where a secondary image gets embedded in the same file. So I would send you a file and it just says .jpg. It just looks like any other JPEG, but internally, if it gets viewed on a supporting web browser like Chrome, Brave, Opera, MS Edge, they all support it. Then if you have an HDR display, it would show you the HDR capability. Um, but if it, but if it, but if it doesn't know what a gain map is and, or if it doesn't support HDR in either case, it would just, it would just show the base image. So it's basically encoded with the old school SDR standard dynamic range image. And that contains a secondary image that basically tells it how to generate the HDR from it. Okay. Um, yeah. And and that's kind of the ideal because in that case, you as a creator get to specify both the HDR and the SDR. So you're creating two good versions and it's not like you're editing the photo twice, like in Lightroom, whatever. You just move a couple sliders to make little tweaks to derive the SDR from your HDR and they just get packaged together. So that's a really smooth, beautiful workflow. The, the other file type that makes sense today and I'm specifically thinking of working with things like the iPhone that don't yet support gain maps in terms of browsing and all, mm -hmm. would be uh, a format called AVIF. That's A-V-I-F. Um, most people haven't heard of it yet because Microsoft Edge doesn't yet support it. Um, once they do, it's going to take over the web because an AVIF image um, is dramatically better than a JPEG. Like your typical image will be like 30% smaller. I've seen mm -hmm. images that are like 80, 90% smaller. It supports transparency. It supports higher bit depth, so you don't have banding. It has all these great things and less artifacts, and it supports HDR. So oh, wow. um, it's it's clearly the future of the web, but we're kind of waiting for a you know MS Edge basically, and it supports it if you turn on a little developer flag. So I mean, the code's been written. I'm not sure what um, you know when that will just be a, a production feature, but at that point, I think you'll start seeing it take off. Um, that file format is used by Apple's Photos app. So it's so Photos just doesn't use the gain map yet in the Photos app. So you'd want to use that on the Apple device. And the reason I say you wouldn't want to just use that on like a web browser is because there's not a gain map version of an AVIF that we can share yet. So that will come too. So gain maps are not like specifically JPEG. That's the first format we use, but we'll start using them eventually on AVIF or other file formats. Um, because we don't have the gain map in that HDR, well, if you were to take that and then view it on a non-HDR display, you have not provided the SDR fallback. And so it's going to use a process of tone mapping, which is basically saying the old school way of generating like HDR, mm -hmm. it will just auto-generate that version. And like Chrome's gotten really good, which means Opera, Brave, and MS Edge, which all kind of derive from the same family of code. It actually looks pretty good. It's not terrible, but the version you can create with a game map is better. So that's, you know, that's why a browser, you'd want that other format. 
and this is like a an October 2023 conversation. I'm hopeful that like, you know, somewhere in the winter or whatever soon we'll have an ability to say, great, well, now we can use these other formats and hopefully we'll just be using like an AVIF with a game map everywhere because then we'd have super high quality small files that just work. But, you know, it's like we just got support for game maps like a month ago, not even. Um, so these things are just going to take a little bit of time to kind of filter out, but that's kind of today's state of things. But it, it, yeah. it's very smooth. It's like in Lightroom, um, when you save a JPEG, there will be a little option that says HDR output. So if your file is an HDR file, you just check the box for HDR output and it creates the JPEG with the game map. On the phone, they don't even necessarily show you that checkbox. It's just by default if you have an HDR source. So in that case, if you just save a file now, the default is JPEG with the game map. And they don't call it a game map in the software, but it'll just say HDR output. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a bit of a you know learning curve to figure out like which option should I choose? But that's in a nutshell, you just in Lightroom, when you're in HDR mode, save as a JPEG with the game map, that's the one you'd want to send to the web. Um, the one other trick of this, right, is like this last mile problem is like now you created this JPEG with the game map. It looks great, but you have to get that file to the browser. If I upload it to a site that reprocesses the image, which is common because they want to maybe derive thumbnails or lower resolution or save space, whatever, those reprocessing tools also need to understand game maps. And today they don't. So if it creates a derivative version of that image, it would strip out the game map and then you would be left with just a standard SDR. So, you know, even if someone had HDR support, even if they had game map support, they wouldn't be getting the file with it in that case. So like when I created my, my WordPress gallery, the, the hack for that is you just make sure all your files are using the full size. It's like a dropping, you just choose full, which basically means the original as was uploaded, don't change the file. Eventually this will just be supported, but again, it's just another piece of the tool chain that needs to be updated and we're a little bit ahead of that. So these are relatively minor things once you know what you're doing, but if you don't know what you're doing, it can be a little frustrating to be like, well, where did it go? But if you know, you're like, oh, well, I just export a JPEG and I want to put it on my site without letting it go through some sort of third-party compression tool or something, and then you're good to go and it'll look great. Yeah, and that's a good point too. The third-party compression tools, a lot of a lot of sites, social media sites, et cetera, um, very few. In fact, the the, the Twib community, uh, is, I think, is one of the few. It's, it's hosted on a platform called Circle, circle.so. And um, currently, uh, to the extent of my knowledge, they don't do anything to the image when you upload it. And I say that because, mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've got some members, you know who you are. I've got some members that will uh, upload super high megapixel images in there when, you know, we only really need screen resolution and it allows that. So, and there's, I'm assuming there's no compression or very little, if any, touching of the image on the back end. So this may work over there. I don't know. We have to do some testing. But then the the, the question is the, the services that do touch the image when you upload it or compress it or do whatever they need to do with it. Once they touch that image, does that, does that, you know, that, that little uh, game map file that's associated with it get ejected. And now you're just back to kind of looking at mud or trying to draw a picture with a box of 24 crayons versus 140 <laughs> crayons. <laughs> well, you're just really going to see the SDR version, which because yeah. of the game map process is one that you're going to be proud of. You're just not going to be sharing the HDR benefit. Um, so, so, you know, 
that's why I'm so excited about game maps is it's eliminated this penalty where the fallback is inferior. The fallback now is just not getting the HDR benefit it still looks great. So um, it works really well. And it's pretty easy to test these things. Like if you upload to a site, you can just like then download your image and just check like, is it the same size? Does it look the same? Like you can take a, a file you downloaded, drag it into like Chrome. And when it pops up, you're like, does it look like HDR or not? And it's, it's an easy test to, to make. Mm -hmm. But in most cases, it is going to get reprocessed. Like if you're on like Wix and Squarespace, whatever, their default media library is going to reprocess it. You can work around that because you can just upload it to like Dropbox or Drive or whatever and share that image on your Wix site or whatever. So um, there, there's ways through all this. Um, you just be a little creative in the moment. Um, but, you know, again, this, these things will go away. Eventually, these backend tools with names like Image Magic, right? They're not consumer facing tools people know about like but they need to be updated now to support game maps but you know thankfully you know it's an open standard that adobe published um all sorts of details google published basically the same standard just on their site mm -hmm. uh google published a library for developers that they can uh actually get game map support by just importing the code from google so uh, the tools are there they just it needs a little bit of time it's like we we've, we've got the browsers we've got the editing but now we need the websites and um, you know, that's, that's obviously a little bit harder because now there's more people and they tend to be smaller teams than the apples and Googles and all of the world. Yeah. Um, but it's inevitable that they'll get there, so but it's it'll, still, it'll, it'll make its way through you know, eventually. Yeah. yeah I wonder, and I wonder how and long it's still now. a good story now. Yeah. Right. No, but, for it's, sure. but the beauty is you get the benefit now and with a couple of little tricks, you can share it with a lot of people already and it's only going to get better from there. So we got to play with it. We got to play with it. Um, I want to have you kind of take us through that and show us where this stuff is. If you're, are you able to do that? Just do like a quick share and walk us through how, how this, you know, how it works within Lightroom and toggling it on and kind of editing it out. I know we're not going to be able to see it through the stream, but the mechanics oh, sure. of how to, how to turn it on and all that. Um, and while, while you're getting that set up, I was going to ask you, so in terms of file formats, JPEG with the, uh, with the game map, associated with it uh i got that what about png you know because you mentioned what was it avif format is kind of the next mm -hmm. next big you know efficient yet high resolution with alpha channel support and all that i thought png was supposed to be that format is it not are we skipping over png and going straight to this avif format png is not very efficient the files are quite big and um you can encode HDR data in a PNG, but it's not going to be recognized by browsers, not that I've seen. Mm. Um, so AVIF is, is much more efficient. It's it's mm -hmm. definitely the, the future. There, there's another file format that in, in some ways is even better. It's great for photography called uh, JPEG XL. The extension is JXL, and that's actually supported by the Adobe software now. Um, and that has some cool benefits. Like, for example, you can take your existing JPEG and compress it to JXL to get the file reduction, but with zero loss, it's a totally lossless process. So you just get a much smaller file with no trade-offs at all. AVIF would create some degree of loss. You probably wouldn't see it, but mm -hmm. um, you know, so that's a nice thing, but but unfortunately there's not really browser support for-, for I was gonna say, yeah. Excel. I <laughs> yeah. mean, it's, it's, in, it's in Chrome, like under developer flag for a while and then it went away, which is not a great sign that like Google had support and they pulled it. So I, I don't know if it has a bright future or not. I'd love to see it get supported because I think it's you know yet another interesting format, but um, we'll yeah. see. 
Let's see. <laughs> this is bleeding edge stuff, folks. Bleeding edge. So, you know, if you want to be ready for the wave and have your work look better than everyone else, then, you know, make sure you understand these techniques and these file formats and how all this stuff works, because it is it's going to be part of what we do very soon. So, yeah, might as well get a head start on your homework. Yeah. Um, so I am um, pull up a quick image here. See if we can't do a little screen share on this thing. So yeah, bring it up. Yeah. Sorry, I kind of moved your head around there. So I was looking towards the camera, not like I've got <laughs> like this huge screen. I'm kind of looking in the wrong spot. So yeah, no worries. All right. So sharing Lightroom. Do you see this? Okay. Um, I see. Well, you know how Lightroom is. It's that whole paneled thing. So I only see your film strip at the bottom right now. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, with okay. with Lightroom, because it, it's coded, I think they're still coding it in, uh, what is it, Luna or something, some some uh, some coding language, but it only, it's a palette-based thing. So Lightroom is, is a bunch of palettes that are stuck together in code. And when you screen share, yeah. it only shares one of them. So you got to share the whole screen, basically. There we go. Yeah. There okay. we go. Yeah, I have like, and I'm trying to dodge around. I've got like my phone is set up as my webcam. It's like hiding all the zoom controls on top for me there. So, <laughs> so you can you can see this now. I see it. Yeah, I see Lightroom. Okay, I see everything from the Apple menu and the upper the Apple logo in the upper left all the way down to, you know, the okay. last film strip on the right. Perfect. Okay, so so this is an image that uh, I've got in in Lightroom version 13. That's the newest version. Uh, that does support HDR. If in the cloud version, I forget what the version is, it's a different number, but the latest cloud version has it. The mobile version, I think is version nine, but both iPhone and uh, at least the Pixel 7, Pixel 8 Pro uh, support it. And what you're classic. looking for, uh, so, so I'm talking, so this is classic, but oh, there's you're in the, classic. The, the, yeah, yeah, right. I'm okay, in classic, right. yep. So the, the yeah. cloud version, I think is like version seven or something, I forget. But gotcha. then the, the, okay. the phone versions, right? The mobile versions, they'll have it on the iPad and on the desktop. They both have like this HDR button that'll be roughly like this. It can be a little different in different places, but you just click this button to turn it on. On the phone, it's going to be like in the same place. You'd find like exposure controls at the bottom of the list. There'll be like a high dynamic range switch. I forget the exact text, but it's not a button. This is HDR. It's a switch instead, um, but same kind of thing. Yeah. You toggle this mode. So when I click this, and if you guys you can't see it, see I know it's a little—it's a little small on the screen because we're showing the, the whole sixteen by nine screen here. But Greg okay. is in the right-hand column, over a kind of like, you know, one fifth from the top, where you see that little highlighted button over there. Yeah. So, so you're not seeing this simply because Zoom won't share it. So your your version, you probably see a sky that looks still pretty white. I'm guessing it probably didn't look any better when I clicked that button. It's white. I see some wispy. I see blue shining through the white. But yeah, it's yeah. very, yeah, yeah. So, so you're, you're button, seeing this. Yeah, without the yeah. button, I see no sky. Okay. What, what, I, what I see on my end of things is this gorgeous sky. There's a huge pop of color here and here. The whole sky got blue. It looks dramatically enhanced. Mm. Now, when you turn on this mode, you just immediately can get that benefit because what's happening, if we look at the histogram with HDR mode off, right? We're all used to this histogram and it ranges from like zero to 255 is the range. Mm -hmm. When I turn on HDR mode, it totally shifted. So this white line, you can't see it all that well, but right here is like the end. So it says SDR, that's the left side. And this is the old data range. And then the right is the HDR 
data range. So everything on this side of the histogram is stuff that I can see and you can't right now just because of the screen sharing. Hmm. So all this content up here, that's what I'm seeing in the sky. It's like all this great stuff that in the SDR mode, it's not really clipped. It just gets compressed to the highlights. So the way that we've always managed these images in the raw processing is we really care about shadow and midtone detail. And so this is really unchanged, but we make all sorts of sacrifices in the highlights. And so the raw data is getting squeezed into this tiny little range where in reality, it's all this here. And the way this works is here's the SDR limit, the old limit. And then each of these bars is one stop writer. So this is one stop writer, two stops writer, three, four on the right side. So I have a little more than two stops of dynamic range being displayed on my screen that you cannot see that historically would just be crammed into this tiny little upper range of SDR. So you're just yeah. smushing all that contrast and losing all the saturation and, and detail that's wow. in there. Wow. Yeah. And then, and yeah, then people, this right here, people have to try this. Like it's hard. To, I know it's hard to articulate, especially when you, you guys cannot see the dramatic change uh, of, of just that one little toggle, but you have to try this. If you have Lightroom, you got to try it and you'll, once you try it, it's over for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I can give you a sense of it too over this. So if I turn this mode back off, right? So we're back to SDR. So when I was in HDR mode, I could see all this foreground kind of as it is. I see all this rich detail, but I, I don't see the sky right now in SDR. If we just make this image darker, mm. imagine a better looking version of this sky. That's what I was looking at, but without making the trees black and the building dark and the snow look really dark, I had both. I had this and a better version of this sky, and I had all that foreground detail all at the same time. Mm -hmm. So, so that all this data is in the raw, you just can't display. You got to choose where you are. So this exposure slider, you see I'm just moving the data back and forth. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, see this little pop of blue that exists here when I made it darker. If I go back to my original version, it's lost. Whereas when I go into HDR mode, there it is again. Mm -hmm. So it's just, I'm no longer making that compromise when I go into the HDR mode. I, I, I finally can see the data the way it is, um, the way it was captured in camera. And to reiterate, um, and to reiterate, this is this is data that very uh, very likely is already in your raw file. So if I go back and pull or your files, period, not even raw, like you're saying, you're playing with mid journey images. So if I go if I go and pull an image from a landscape I shot, I don't know, three four years ago with a, with a, that era camera, and pull it into Lightroom and toggle that on, I'm going to see stuff that I didn't realize that was in the shot before, right? So it's almost like reimagining and reusing technology to relook at all of your, a lot of your old work and making it what it should have been back then, right? Exactly. So, and, and now this button will only have an effect if the raw data has pixels up in this range. Like if I shot a dark exposure, you know, that's down here, mm -hmm. toggling this button doesn't do anything because nothing was supposed to be in the HDR range. Um, you know, so it really kind of comes down to like, did you properly expose to the right in a scene that would have that data? If you, if you're underexposed your images or it's a very low contrast scene, there might not be any HDR just by clicking the button, but, but even then you can still, you know, push up the highlights and the whites and your curves and other things. You can take that data and move it into the HDR range, even if it wasn't, you know, intended that way in the original capture. Um, so like turning on this mode is like the start of the journey. 
but then what you do with it afterwards is the part where you really can make it sing and, and push it. So any image can benefit. A lot of them will show the benefit just by clicking the button, but even those that don't, there's so much more you can do once you're in this mode. That's so crazy. Yeah, that's so crazy. With that crayon analogy, it's like, oh, you're all your life, you've been making pretty good pictures with your box of, you know, 24 crayons and you got it down and you know how to make it look great. And then somebody comes by and throws a bucket of crayons at you with all different colors. <laughs> and you're like, okay, and now you're like, okay, let's see what you can do with these. And now you create something truly fantastic now that you have more, quote, latitude to play with. Yeah, that is that is nuts. That is nuts. Uh -huh. How come more people don't know about this, Greg? Like, what's a is is it because it's so new and like this? I don't feel like was this part of the part of the you know any of the announcements that Do Adobe made or like when Apple launched the 15 was this mentioned? Like, what? How come I don't know? How come I didn't know about this? So, so this this button has been in Adobe Camera Raw for the last year, but mm -hmm. it just landed in Lightroom like a week ago. Mm -hmm. um, so this is okay. brand new. Uh, and, and then, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing that, you know, not everybody has it and it's left people this impression that it's really rare. Like I've heard people say like 99% of people don't have HDR. Well, that's, that's not true. I mean, if you have a MacBook pro the last three years, not only do you have it, you have like the best possible screen you can get. And if you have an Apple device that, you know, you bought since 2018, you probably have it. And there, there's quite a few, I mean, I saw a, an $1,800 laptop the other day at Costco that actually has a really good HDR display. So I, I think there's this impression that it doesn't exist that's been created because people didn't know about it and they couldn't use it. Um, so it's And it's, there was a negative kind of stigma special. around it, right? Because it, it felt a little fatty. And it was like, oh, they see those three letters, HDR. Oh yeah, I don't want to do that. That's from, you know, that's from five years, 10 years ago. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and so, so that's the other piece of this, right? So I mentioned that gain map where you create mm -hmm. like the lower capability. That's what this little preview for SDR display. So Lightroom will look like this by default. You're going to click this little triangle under SDR rendition settings. Mm -hmm. And then you'll see this option. When you click this button, this is the old HDR. It, it See how it's like eliminated the HDR range. It's all in SDR. So here it's tone mapping down to SDR. And then I have all these controls. So I can play with like the rendition. I can bring the brightness, maybe I play with the contrast a little bit, maybe add a little more saturation to the highlights, you know, whatever, I, you know, I don't know, maybe you want to darken it further. Um, you get to generate the SDR here. This is basically like Adobe's version of the old HDR in a sense, um, but, you know, generating down to this controlled version of a decent looking SDR. I mean, this is, you and I are now seeing the same thing because it's only in the SDR range. Yeah. And to me, this is a pretty good looking image. It's definitely not as good as HDR because that's the whole point, right? We, we use HDR because it looks better, but this is my fallback. So when I've set these sliders, I've now determined what the SDR looks like. So if I go and export this image now, what will be exported is going to be a game map where it's going to have my HDR and it's going to have my SDR. So yeah, so this is this is the way you get that artistic control over that SDR version. Um, so it's it's really pretty simple. I mean, the edit stack is, I mean, aside from like turning on the mode and choosing yeah, the SDR you turn version, turn it on and play, turn it on play and export, right? Yeah. yeah, like the only thing that's the only thing that's different is your curve. Like the curve now has an SDR and an HDR region. Mm -hmm. So like in in the old like you know, SDR mode, my curve goes all the way up to two fifty five. In the HDR mode, now it goes up to 500. 
but, but, but it still feels the same. You probably wouldn't even notice, but everything else just works the same. So it's really very easy to understand how to use this. You can pretty much explore on your own. Once you have the hardware and you click the button. That's nuts. You know, the, the, the old version or the old thinking, I don't know if it's still old, but the, the bracketing, go out and put your camera on a tripod, you know, and take, you know, one exposure spot on and one plus, I don't know, a third of a stop and another one negative a third of a stop or even more than that. Then you bring them into an app like Photomatics or Aurora HDR or Photoshop, whatever, and then have that generate and tone map for you. And then you go from there and edit and do all your tweaking and all that. Is that workflow still valid or have we moved to the future where you no longer need to bracket? You just take the shot because the latitude is there and let the, let the software do the rest for you. So, so I, I would, um, I think we just set off Siri. Um, I, I would argue that the, <laughs> I would argue that the, the old approach of bracketing was always overused that you could, you could always use photomatics, whatever, with like a single raw file. And, you know, it's not like we needed more dynamic range, right? We, you've, we've now seen that like, you know, these 14 plus stops of dynamic range don't fit on our SDR display. So adding more stops, like if I move by one stop, it's like, oh, well, now I went from 14 to 15. So now I just have like more of a problem to squeeze down. The, the benefit I would say of bracketing has always been that by taking brighter exposures where the highlights would clip, I'm improving the shadows by re reducing noise, right? So I, I, I would argue that the benefit has always been for the bracketing thing to be able to get better shadow noise. And the old approach would it really enhance shadow. So it did a great job of showing really nasty shadow noise. So it, yeah. it probably enhanced the need to do it. Um, so that, that rationale of trying to avoid noise in the shadows, that still applies. Um, I don't need it. Most of the time I shoot with a single raw at low ISO, properly exposed to the right meaning. I go as bright as I can without clipping highlights. Um, that approach means most of the time a single raw is going to look great for HDR, but Maybe I have a super high contrast scene. Maybe um, maybe my exposure settings are a little uncertain to me. Like it's a challenging scene. I'm working quickly. There's times when shooting multiple exposures, either to like just make sure you don't miss it or because you're trying to work with shadow noise, whatever, whether that makes sense. And that's kind of where the old and new worlds come together because the, uh, the feature that's been in Lightroom for years, like if I select a few images and right click, and then there's this photo merge you know, to HDR, that same thing, I can generate this merged version that puts all those multiple RAWs into a new RAW and I can still use it with the HDR feature here. And the workflow okay. is the same other than just the combining step. Um, yeah. But I, I would say, you know, most people really don't need it most of the time. Um, it's a bit of a distraction and I think it takes away from spending time, you know, improving your composition or understanding the light or whatever. So I would encourage people not to rely on this feature very much for, for any form of HDR, the old or the new, um, but it, it has its role. Sometimes, sometimes it's useful. Extreme conditions, you know, like you said, clipping, clipping or, or a, a, a highly dynamic scene, right? Where there's, there's huge highlights in there and in blocked out shadows and you want to make sure that you capture all all that data or like insurance right because like you said the you know, modern camera will likely capture all that range but just in case because you're never going to be back there again so let's you know let's just make sure we got it all and and bring it in yeah that's good to know that's good to know that was one of the big questions is like is this does we were talking about the and versus or i was like does this replace 
the old working of HDR. No, it's additive. You use the tool, the right tool for the right job or the right tool for the right scene and, you know, have at it. But that's liberating though, you know, like based on our conversation before about, um, you know, just like you taking a mid journey image and, and pulling out more than was there from that image, using all these tools together just gets exciting, right? Because you add this tool and understanding once people kind of internalize how this, this kind of new world that we're moving into with AVIFs and, you know, the, the game maps and all that, once we photographers understand how simple it is and how much power it gives you and you start crossing the stream. So now you can do this, you can do you know, AI images, run it through here, take a component of that, put it over there, do your raw file. Yeah, it's just amazing. All the things you can do, notwithstanding all the, the selection tools that we have inside of these apps now and being able to use that and then Lumenzia to do your fine tuning and then HDR, the mind boggles, right? <laughs> we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna need a bigger planet and more stuff to shoot, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, I I think it's super cool that you can take an old image and reveal something new that you yeah. can revisit things, right? Like you can make creative expressions on you couldn't make before. Like if you have a scene, like if I'm shooting in a cave with SDR, I'm not gonna see shadow detail in the walls and detail outside the cave unless I make it to the point where there's an unrealistic collapsing of the values that the outside and the inside aren't that far apart. Now you can do it in a way where like, wow, that looks real. That, I mean, like it's, it's correct. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's so awesome to have that ability to have that creative option, right? Which is not to say like, you know, you should just use it all the time. It's like anything, it's a tool and it can be misused. It can be abused. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Like anything. Yeah. But, uh, but I, but I find that it's something that enhances a huge range of images. I use it uh, quite a lot. I'll certainly be using it more as time goes on, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. As time goes on and adoption continues and it becomes more ubiquitous all over the place. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Cause it's, yeah, you look at the, like I was saying, like the tools, like the noise reduction tools, I think that that changed a lot of mindsets. So these high ISO cameras and low noise cameras. So you can shoot at these ridiculously high ISOs that may have a little bit of noise in them. And then you can knock that noise out with these new AI based uh, noise reduction features in Lightroom or Photoshop or whatever. So now you have a clean high ISO, ISO image that would have nearly been probably impossible prior to this technology. And then you layer on top of that, the, uh, you know, so there's noise reduction. And then um, what's, what's the other big thing that kind of shook? Oh, bokeh, right? <laughs> so <laughs> now these these fast images, it used to be, oh, you need a, you need fast glass to shoot in these challenging situations. Well, not anymore because we have ISO high ISO cameras that can pretty much shoot a black cat in a dark closet, right? So the high ISO thing is kind of solved. And then it was, oh, you need these this expensive glass in order to get that beautiful signature professional looking bokeh on your image. Well, now we can regenerate that too and do that in, in post. And now, you know, with shooting in raw or HDR or whatever, using these techniques, we can pull out things that weren't there or that we didn't perceive at the time. It just makes it like, that's why photography is so cool for me. Cause it's like all these things keep showing up to let us do more and more things that we didn't think was possible. Like even what you showed here today, yesterday would have felt kind of like science fiction, you know, being able to do that. And now it's a reality and it's another tool in our tool belts. You know, before we, before we wrap it up, Greg, I want to just get some, and I'm putting you on the spot 
also about you know coming to the twip member mixer uh but uh so brace yourself but if people want to learn about this i know you wrote a really good blog post and with examples and ways to test your display and all that people that are listening to this are like okay i'm done let, let me let me go find out how this can work in my world where should they start to kind of start internalizing this so I've, I've got kind of one main resource page. If you went to gregbensphotography.com slash HDR, that is going to have everything. It has sample images. It has tests to confirm if you're actually seeing HDR and how much, like in the list of tests, the very first one, they're test number one. If you you know go down to that, it's like about the, I think about the third bullet would link to it. Um, down here? Oh, oh yeah. Below, below those uh, images, you see it. Yeah, there's... Testing or HDR, um, okay. There we exactly. Go. So that first bullet there it will actually tell you how much headroom you have. You'll have to turn on a development setting in, in Chrome real quick. It tells you what to do, but it would tell you like exactly what the capabilities of your display are. Um, and, and you see here, it's showing that you have an HDR display and, and all these other things. So you'll know what you're looking at. And then uh, aside from that, you know, as you work down the page, there's multiple different videos showing how do you do it in Lightroom? How do you do it in Academy Raw? How do you export the images? Um, I've got an ebook linked here that explains how to set up your TV. Um, I mean, all sorts of different aspects of it. So this, this one page kind of captures this is it. everything. This is yeah. it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for putting this together. This is, this is fantastic. Yeah. Saves, saves the time of hunting all over the place. You even got videos that it show and explain. Yeah. So if you, you were watching this and you couldn't, you know, quite keep up because of what screen resolution or whatever, head over to this page and just consume everything on this page. Just do the matrix, plug it into the back of your head and you'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. This is great, man. Uh, so I'm going to put you on the spot here. So every, every Friday religiously, like for the past couple of years or more, uh, the TWIP group, the TWIP community meets on zoom at 6 PM us Pacific time uh, and it's for members only. So when you know, we all just basically jump into Zoom and hang out and talk about photography or whatever, you know, whatever's interesting that week. Uh, lately, there's been a lot of artificial intelligence conversations. And of course, you know, a little bit of politics. I try to keep that out of there. But it's, it's just a group of people that enjoy themselves and love photography and are, you know, just genuine friends. I would like to have you Greg Benz come in to the group and show this stuff, do an explanation, an expose on how all this stuff works and blow minds in that crowd, kind of how you've blown my mind here. Are you up for that this Friday, 6 p.m. U.S. Pacific? I'm in. Absolutely. Love to. All right. Awesome. Good. I put him on the spot. See, I put him on the spot, folks, because now it's recorded. Now he has to show up. <laughs> <laughs> Committed. <laughs> he has to show up. Yeah. Cool. Well, great. In all seriousness, I know there's a lot of Lumenzia users in there, and I know there'll be a lot of questions about the latest versions of Lumenzia, of course, and of course, everything we talked about here today with HDR and the you know, the, I have to write it down, the game maps, the AVIFs, the JPEG Excelvers, you know, all this stuff, you know, so I want to, let's just have a demystification party for a little bit and just explain this fantastic world that photographers are about to jump into. So yeah, it should be fun. It should be fun. Um, last words from Greg Benz on this, all the stuff that we talked about and what's coming up next for Greg and what's coming up next for Lumenzia. Fill us in. Um, well, right now, just a lot of focus on just kind of catching up with all these great tools. So I, I definitely will yeah. be continuing to spend time focused on just 
educating around HDR and how do these things plug together? I mean, I'm, I'm still learning myself. I've been hard at this for a couple of years, but there's, it's moving so fast that I can hardly even keep up with it. Like I keep finding things like, Oh my gosh, this is supporting now. This is here. This tool got turned on. So, um, that's probably a pretty big, uh, emphasis for it. And, and, yeah. you know, that's, that's the instruction, but that's also in my, my software. Cause I've, I've got two software products. I've got Lumenzia and I've got WebSharp pro. Right. Um, and WebSharp pro is really about, you know, sharing your images and it has a lot of HDR support to help you process images that are going to look great, including like taking your SDR and just convert it right to, to HDR. So probably need to show a little bit more of that. Cause you can take your existing portfolio and just get a whole bunch of HDR benefit by like literally clicking a button. I mean, obviously you can spend time and tweak every which way, but a lot of, a lot of potential there. So love it. Love um, it. yeah, yeah. So yeah, so much. And, and, and probably still just digesting some of the other things I've been so focused on HDR. I think there's probably some other catch up I have to do on some of the other great goodness in the photography world. And that'll probably lead to so some other uh, things too. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. There's so much, there's so much going on. It's hard to keep track of is like literally, a fire hose that somebody keeps turning up. <laughs> you know, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's hard to keep track of. All right, man, we'll, we'll leave her. Oh, one thing that I know that you're going to be working on, you need to go test drive your, that car we talked about. <laughs> 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 Absolutely. Yeah. You yeah. got to do that. Cool, man. All right, Greg Benz, thank you for coming on, man. I appreciate you. Uh, always a pleasure. I love it. We're like I said at the beginning, we are kindred spirits in terms of just geeking out on different things and the possibilities uh, and just, you know, how much fun that you can have doing this stuff. And I, I love I love your sort of drive to learn this stuff. I love your ability to communicate complex topics to, you know, lay people and, and have us kind of understand and get excited about it. And I also love the entrepreneurial spirit that you have in you that, you know, they created both of these software packages and you built sort of the ecosystem around that. So many props to the Greg Benz over there, you know, making it happen. That's how you're, you're the future, my friend. So keep it up. <laughs> oh, thanks. And thanks. Thanks for having me on. It's, it's great to have a conversation like this because, um, you know, you've got this fantastic ability as an interviewer to bring out the right stuff for the audience and, and, and have that right conversation where there's so many directions we can go. And I love the the back and forth on something like this. Cause it, cause it is complicated. Like yeah. if you try and demystify HDR video, I think that world is really kind of scary. You know, HDR photography, the tools have gotten so great. And now we're just trying to figure out the best way to use them. And, and it's conversations like this that I think are really going to help people understand, you know, why they should care, how to get started and how to start making the most of it. Cause it's a, it's a really fun new world with, with all the HDR stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I can hear the commercial now. Have you ever wondered why other photographers images seem to look so much better than yours? Well, allow us to show you there's this, <laughs> you, walk into the <laughs> you know, available now in Lightroom at no charge to you. Just click this button and now you have superpowers. Yeah. So cool, man. All right, we'll leave it right there. Thank you very much. Oh, and folks, if you want to join the TWIP community that I mentioned earlier, just head over to join.thisweekinphoto.com and you can join the community and hang out with us every Friday. And it's, you know, and a bunch of other stuff. I don't want to go into that. But yeah, specifically, if you want to sit in and, and watch Greg talk about this stuff, you'll need to be a member to come in and check that out. All right, Greg Benz, thank you, my friend. Uh, let's end this one or else we're going to go off on another tangent and I'll be speaking for another hour. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll end this right here, at least the recorded spot, uh, the recorded piece will end right here. 
Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate your time. GregBenzPhotography.com is where it all is, or GregBenz with a Z, photography.com slash HDR to jump into this world that we've been talking about today. All right, Greg, thanks a lot for joining us and uh, we'll see you next time. Actually, we'll see you at the mixer, but we'll see you in the next interview as well. Take care. This is Twitter.